Church family, today you get to hear from one of my good friends, Josh Jackson. Josh is the senior minister at the Rural Hill Church just outside of Nashville in Antioch, Tennessee. Josh and I go way back. We went to school together at Abilene back in the day, and we're part of a group of ministers that talk every month and encourage one another. And I tell you, he is one of the most gifted ministers in our movement. I asked him to come and preach to us today, and I think you're going to be blessed by what he shares. We're leaving the book of Mark for the next few weeks as we prepare for our Life-Giving Sunday, and then we'll come back to Mark at the end of November. Let's hear from Josh this morning. Josh? Good morning. It is such a blessing to be here, to be in Memphis. And as Eric said, yes, I am the preaching minister at the Rural Hill Church of Christ, and yes, it is difficult to say. And so most of the time, I have to pause myself to say it correctly. It does not just roll off the tongue. But I am grateful to be at that congregation. My wife and I have been there since January 1, which means that we started this year, and in two and a half months in, well, actually two months in, there was a huge tornado that wiped through. And then two and a half weeks after that, COVID hit. So then we stopped meeting in the building, and we started gathering back toward the end of the summer. But I'm grateful to be in this space at this time. And it's unusual. So when Eric called me and he was like, hey, would you be willing to come down and preach? We're going through this series of Mark. And he told me the date. And I said, you realize that's the Sunday right before the election? And he said, no, I just knew I had to move and I didn't even think about that. And I said, the fact that you said that I believe you, but I feel like you've thrown me under the bus. (laughs) But I'm grateful all the more. And so what I want us to do this morning, we're going to look at a very simple passage, which I think many of us have probably read, but we probably just read over it and didn't think much of it to get to the rest of the meat of the text. And so we're going to be in Matthew chapter 10. But I think this is a very critical text. This is a very important text, and I think it speaks a lot to what we're going through right now. These are unique times, to say the least. And for many of you, these have been very difficult and dark times. And I know we have an online audience, and I know that it's hard being at home. Some of you want nothing more than to be back in this space, to be with family and friends and to have community. And what I realize is that isolation is hard. We were not meant to live that way. We were not meant to be alone and to be isolated and away from the people we care for and who care for us. But because of circumstances, not everyone is able to join us for these things. But even in the upcoming weeks, as we step into holiday season, there are those in this body and church congregations all across this world. Well, this will be a different year. We won't be able to do the things that we once did that seemed so normal and that oftentimes when we think back, we took for granted. And so this morning, I want to address some of those difficulties and some of that tension. So if you have your Bibles, like I said, we'll be in Matthew chapter 10. And as I was getting ready for this this lesson, there was a voice in the back of my head reminding me of a former professor and dear friend and great preacher, a man by the name of Fred Craddock. Some of you might have heard the name. But one of the things Fred Craddock used to say to his preaching students and what he would always remind them is stay away from lists. Whenever it comes to preaching, don't preach lists. And you would ask, well, why? And he would say, preaching the list will always get you in trouble. Well, after today, I get to go back home, so I'm going to preach the list. (laughs) Eric, you can pick up the pieces where they fall. 
But in Matthew chapter 10, beginning at verse 1, the writer says these words. And he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. I want to, you consider for a sermon title the very song that we sang before the message, I Have Decided to Follow Jesus. In this list, we see these disciples who are now being commissioned as apostles to go out and to do some amazing work. But I don't want us to talk about the work they're going to do. I want us to talk about who they are, because this is a unique bunch of individuals. These men come from various backgrounds with different trials and tribulations in their life, but they all have something in common with all except for one. So most of us are familiar with Simon and his brother Andrew. Jesus finds them on the side of the right where they're fishing, and they haven't caught anything, and they have a conversation with Jesus, and he says, I'm going to make you fishers of men. And so they leave their nets, and they follow Jesus. And then, of course, obviously we're familiar with James and John. They're in the boat with their father Zebedee, and they decide to get out of the boat. They leave their father, and they too follow Jesus. And then maybe we're familiar with Matthew, who is called Levi, who's the tax collector, who when you read the story is on the side of the road by his tax booth, and he decides to leave the booth and follow Jesus. But some of these other characters were like, we don't know much about them, and the Bible doesn't tell us so much about them. But let's look at some of these other individuals. So Philip and Bartholomew, they're actually disciples of John the Baptist before they become followers of Jesus. And at the same time, Thomas, who we know as the doubter, is also listed here. But there's another character who stands out for me above all the rest. And that's Simon the Zealot. So if you know anything about the zealots, they're religious fanatics who are seeking to restore Israel to its nationhood. And because of Simon's commitment, it just constantly just blows my mind that somehow the zealot and the tax collector can coexist. Because if you realize the dynamic, they shouldn't be able to walk together. The tax collector represents the very thing that the zealot detests most. He is a worker for the Roman oppressive empire. And so the zealot, just by his very nature, is obligated to give the tax collector a bad time, if not to kill him. But somehow in this list, you have the religious fanatic and the oppressor or the one who represents the oppressive system. And they're both listed together. And so what I want us to do this morning is to think about what does it mean to actually follow Jesus? Because somehow they make it work. We have fishermen, tax collectors, zealots. We have private, previous officials who worked with other industries. We have men who haven't even fully decided what's going on in their life. We have people who've left family. 
And even Jesus says this in Luke when he talks about being a disciple, what it means, and he says that you need to count the cost, that if you're going to be my follower, you need to know what it's going to cost you. And what this list tells me is that in every case, being a follower of Jesus requires me to leave something. I have to let something go. And have we done that? Did we decide that following Jesus is what's most important and therefore I'm willing to put aside anything else that stands between me and my Savior? Or are we even in the process of doing so? See, one of my favorite movies, which I have very few, is actually the Dark Knight trilogy. Like, I love those movies. Because there's just so much, like, theological just symbolism in them that you see. But if you've ever seen the last one in the trilogy, The Dark Knight Rises, there's this phenomenal scene that I love where they're in the prison. And if you've ever seen the movie, you know what I'm talking about. They're in the middle of nowhere and they're in this prison that's in a hole. And Christian Bale, who's the Batman character in this movie, feels that he is determined to get out of this prison. And you can, you can escape, but you have to climb the wall and then make this jump and then climb the rest of the way out. And so the first two times that he tries to get out of this hole, if you know the movie, he goes over to the wall, he puts the rope around his waist, and he tries to climb the wall, and then he tries to make the jump, and he fails. So that's what happens the first time. The second time, he's frustrated, he's irritated, he works out a little bit more, and him and the guy who's kind of like been in the prison for the longest, but it's kind of like his, his sage who's giving him some wisdom and some encouragement, he says, you know, have you decided that you're going to do this yet? And he's like, yes. And so he's working out, he's like, you know, completely ripped abs, something I wish I had. But he's like, I'm really irritated and I'm going to do this. And so he goes again, he puts the rope on and he gets up and he tries to make the jump and he fails. And then he comes back down and he's so frustrated and irritated and he's in his cell again. And the sage says, you need to make the jump, but you have to do it without the rope. What's the rope for you? What is it that's holding us where we are and preventing us from making the jump with Jesus? Because what happens and what they recognize in the story is that the rope actually doesn't have the link to get him to the jump. And it's ironic that it's called the leap of freedom. That in order to make the leap, you have to let go of the rope. In order to walk with Jesus, you have to let go of something. And after he makes the leap without the rope, he's able to get to the other side and climb out. And then he lets the rope down from the top for everybody else to be free. But as long as he ties the rope around his waist, he is stuck in the prison. Every one of Jesus' disciples have to let go of the rope that anchors them to where they are. The zealot has to let go of his radicalism. Even the tax collector has to leave the booth. The fishermen have to leave their nets and even their parents. But each and every one of them gives up something in order to follow Jesus except for one. And we find out that the one who's refusing to give up something is the one who can't make the leap. And that's the one that ultimately betrays Jesus. Why does Judas betray Jesus? Because he won't give anything up. He's fixated on what he has and what he wants and which is money. And ultimately he realizes in the end as he commits suicide, unfortunately, that I should have given it up to follow Jesus. But see, oftentimes we miss the point because everything in the world tells us that we need more. I need to reach out for this. I need to hold on to this. And sometimes, even in seasons like this, where political turmoil is at an all-time high, we feel that only if I get this, or only if it goes this way, or only what happens on Tuesday goes with what I believe or what I want, then maybe things will be better. But let me tell you that God is still God even after Tuesday. 
Whatever happens in U.S. politics has nothing to do with the kingdom of God. God will still reign supreme and he will still be sovereign and Jesus is still the savior of all. And so are we going to tie the rope of politics around our waist or are we going to let it go to take the jump to freedom in Jesus? Are we going to bind ourselves to the things of this world or are we going to let it go in order to take the leap to be a disciple of Jesus? Because here's what I know. You can't take the leap with Jesus if you're tied to the world. It won't let you go that far. It's meant to anchor you where you are. And some of us I know came in this morning wanting nothing more than to give up certain things in our life, but we have tied them so tightly around us, and yet we're running after Jesus only to get so far, and we're wondering why we can't go another step. And what I want you to know is you just have to let it go. Jesus says, if you let it go, you can be my disciple. And so are we going to be a people who's willing to let go? I remember when I was going through this circumstance, when I was going through uh, high school and I was on a basketball team, and I was decent, right? I had a pretty good jump shot. Now I, I can't even run. I just stand at three-point line when I play with young people. Uh, some of you know about that. I don't know what happened when I got 30, but I just got old. Like, I don't know. God help me. Like, do you wake up and your knees just crackle? Like, I, I never knew. I didn't stretch until I hit 30. Like, I never, I thought stretching was for really old people. And then it was like, something happened. My body just was like, you're 30 now, stretch. And I don't even have to do anything. I just feel hurting. Like, always. Uh, for those of you who are young, just wait till you get old. You will understand. But I remember, like, we were going through this series, and I was trying so hard to do something. And basically what I was trying to do was I was trying to dunk with two hands. And what I was trying to do in this series was trying to dunk with two hands is I was trying to motivate myself and force myself to do it. But the whole time I was trying to do this, I was neglecting other part of my game. Because I had become so focused on one thing that I had neglected other things. And my dad said to me, why are you so focused on this? It's only two points. And of course, I had to just stand there like, I don't know, because it's cool, it seems fun, right? I can dunk one-handed, I should be able to dunk with two off two feet. He was like, but it's only two points. It's the same if you make a layup. It's the same if you get fouled at the free throw line and go knock down two points. It's actually better if you can shoot from the three-point line because it's three points. Why are you so focused on this? And when he said that, it expanded my world to understand that sometimes that's how my walk with Jesus is. Sometimes I just think that if I can get through this, that I've dedicated all my time to and all my energy to, that maybe things will just get better. But what I had to realize, why don't I just let this go and work on something else that I actually can do well? Why am I fighting something that's probably not just for me when I can actually do something that is going to be productive and conducive? I was actually stunning my own growth and my own development as a basketball player by focusing on something that really wasn't that big of a deal. And so how many of us in this audience right now feel like we're in that place? That what's going on because of COVID and what's happening because of the election and what's going on in this last season and everything that's going on in our world, that sometimes we're focused on things that we believe will actually make things better. But when we take a step back, recognizing that whether we get that fixed or not, it's still going to be where it is. And that we'd probably be better off if we just let it go.
Because then we could follow Jesus. What's actually keeping you from following Jesus? What's holding you in place? What's got your soul anchored? So much so that you're willing to hold on to it for dear life, recognizing that it's not going to benefit you in the end. See, when I read this list, I look and I see and I think that maybe I'm more like Judas than some of the other disciples, whether I want to realize it or not. That I have a problem with holding on to the things of the world that are actually preventing me from taking the next step in my faith with Jesus. See, each of these men, except for the Judas, who is the Iscariot, who's the one who ultimately betrays Jesus, they go on to do amazing things in the kingdom for the kingdom. They're missionaries all over the world. They're writers. They're people who inspire other leaders. But in order to do so, they each had to come to the reality that I have to give up something. I have to let it go. And once they let it go, they're able to follow Jesus. But when I saw this, something hit me. Because God never asks us to do anything that God isn't willing to do for us. See, every Sunday, we come together, we gather. We're in this space, we sung songs, we said prayers, we read from the word. And we do so because God was willing to give something up. Seated at the right hand of God is the Lamb of God, who left his eternal heavenly place to take on flesh, to walk among us. He took off his divinity to put on humanity for our sake. He let it go. And it's because Jesus let something go and God let his son go on the cross that we have the opportunity of eternal life with him. So if God can let it go for us, then can we not open our lives and our hands and our hearts to God to let something go for him? Or would we rather hold on to it for dear life, recognizing ultimately that we'll lose everything? I look at the zealot, and I look at the tax collector, and I think if the zealot and the tax collector can get along, donkeys and elephants can work it out. If the zealot and the tax collector can follow Jesus, then regardless of whether you're black, white, or any other shade in between, or regardless of your ethnicity or of your language of origin, we can come together and follow Jesus. If the zealot and the tax collector can put aside their differences for the kingdom of God, then we can put our nationalism or any other fanaticism that we might have. You could even be an Auburn or an Alabama fan and you can figure out how to follow Jesus. It might take some prayer and fasting, but it can happen. But if we don't let things go, then we'll try to make the jump to freedom, that very leap with Jesus to be his disciple, recognizing that we won't be able to make it. Because the very thing we refuse to give up will keep us anchored right where we are. So as we get ready to go to the table, as we get ready to partake of the body and blood of Jesus this morning, 
I want you to think about the sacrifice that God gave for you. The fact that God gave something up so that you could be free. And what you're taking in that cup and in that juice and that bread is a meal of freedom. Because God took a leap. He entrusted us now with that very power to set others free by introducing to the one who freed us. That's our freedom meal. But are you actually free? Every time we take of the body and blood of Jesus, we confess that we're willing to give something up for Christ. That's what we profess. That's what our faith says. That's what that meal signifies. So I want us to take a moment and think, what is it that you need to give up to follow Jesus? What are you still holding on to? Because what I saw in the disciples, I see in my life, when things get difficult, I revert back to holding on to things. And this has been a tough year. We revert back to survival mode. We pick up old habits. We pick up things for safety and security that one time when things were going good, we could let go a lot easier. But it's a lot harder to let go and to give generously when you don't feel that you know where your next paycheck is coming from or if you're going to have a job the next day. I get it. It's a lot harder to give to people in need or to even think about the next step and how you're going to be a blessing to others when you don't know if you're going to have food on your table. It's harder to be concerned about the cares of others when your health insurance is what's on the line. But are we willing to give those things up to follow Jesus, recognizing that God will never call us to a place that he won't walk with us to get there? but we have to let it go and take the leap. Matthew says in his gospel, well, actually, I'm going to take that back. In John's gospel, before they partake, Jesus washes his disciples' feet. And if you've read that story, he washes all of their feet, including Judas, the betrayer. Some of us are going to have to learn a ministry of washing feet in order to be free. We're going to have to let some things go of people who've hurt us deeply, who've angered us beyond our own imagination. Sometimes just seeing them or speaking their name or hearing their name enrages us. But we're going to have to forgive and let it go in order to follow Jesus. So as we pray, I want you to think about what you need to let go to make the leap of freedom in Christ. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, the God of all grace, mercy, and wisdom, the God who is abundant in his riches and is willing to be a blessing for all of creation, Father, we come to you saying thank you. Father, we thank you for being the one who gives, the one who sacrifices for those you love. For in your word, you said, for God so loved the world that you gave your son. And so, God, as we partake of the bread which represents the bruised and broken body of Jesus, our Savior, and as we partake of this cup which represents his shed blood for the forgiveness of our sins, Father, we ask that we do this in a manner which glorifies you, recognizing 
that you gave something up so that we might be free. And so, Father, in return, we too give something up so that we can experience your freedom and help others to be free. Father, we say thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus. And as we partake of this meal, let us honor him in word and in deed, and even in our very thoughts. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.